With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to Millions of Screens. I'm creative producer Leo Garcia, joined via Zoom by TV deputy editor Ben Travers and TV awards editor Libby Hill. Today, we're going to be talking about the best place to start a show. The beginning? <laughs> we'll also be talking about the SAG <laughs> Awards, which occurred on Sunday. Uh, a quick Falcon and Winter Soldier update. And Corgi Corner. Although not talking about the crown, talking about Bridgerton. Some Bridgerton news. It is a millions and millions of little screens. Can't you shut up? I'm busy. Boy, what a great show. Skipping ahead to the clicker, our recap of the biggest news items from this past week. Libby, the okay. SAG Awards were Sunday night. Well, they weren't actually Sunday night, but uh, some some version of them occurred Sunday night uh, on TNT and TBS. As we talked about leading into the week, we didn't think there was going to be a lot of surprises, and guess what? There weren't a lot of surprises. The one that I on think kind of... Yeah, on our side. Well, the, the one TV one that kind of surprised me, and I wanted to get both of your thoughts on this, because I do think uh, Ben would have strong thoughts, is uh, Mr. Jason Bateman in Best Actor in a Drama Series. Ben? That was incredibly exciting to see Jason Bateman get the recognition that he deserved. And in true Jason Bateman fashion, he immediately rattled off like all of the go-to thank yous very quickly. Netflix, fellow cast members, MRC, all that fun stuff. And then MRC <laughs> then shifted to uh, everybody go get your vaccines. Uh, this is for the essential workers out there, like just completely moving away from himself uh, just like he does when you try to talk to him about acting. He's like, no, I can't do it anymore. I can only talk about like the show or other things around the show. Um, so that was really fun to experience. Um, and yeah, great. Very proud that he beat Josh O'Connor. I think it's deserved. With no winner at, at the forefront of this, the can't compete in the Emmys. Do you just have to hang on to all the other wins that Josh O'Connor has had? leading into the Emmys like you do but I I don't think that he has so much heat like if anything um I mean I guess it could go one of two ways they could go through their ballots and just be like crown 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 and he gets uh swept in in a wave which I assume happened with Schitt's Creek last year or and I think this is more likely they get to that category and they're like is there someone I like better than this guy because it isn't such a standout performance um, I'm wondering, you know, why not give it to Sterling K. Brown again? Because no matter what you think of his show, he's always... I ne- but Ben, like, we're... I got you. Um, you know, it, 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 why not give it to someone whose performance you love, even if it's on a show you don't love? I, I, I mean, there's... That is where my gut trends uh, with Josh O'Connor. I, I think he was great this year but i i don't know that it was the best performance on television so uh you know good for jason bateman i i strongly suspect he was in second place at the emmys this year um because ozark i mean i think ozark probably was second place in a lot of categories at the emmys last year i'm sorry ben like i know that sounds like 
damning with faint praise, but no, you know, it was all. up against succession. Right. Absolutely. So, um, yeah, that was my feeling. Like most of the surprises at the SAGs really came on the film side. Um, what, in, what the, I will tell you the most interesting win for me was Gillian Anderson. Um, Gillian Anderson was competing in drama series because SAG doesn't do supporting actor series um, for television for whatever reason, uh, categories. Gillian uh, Anderson beat out both Olivia Coleman and Emma Corrin, both of whom will be competing at the Emmys in lead um, with her supporting performance, which suggests to me that, you know, that is that is the go to performance from the crown that people are really behind, which I wouldn't have guessed. I would have guessed most of the heat was behind uh, Corrin. So so that was uh, an interesting, you know, minuscule adjustment of the equilibrium to me. I will say probably not surprising, but it, this was the first quote unquote head to head battle that uh, Anya Taylor-Joy and Michaela Cole had in any uh, award space. And Queen's Gambit came out on top as it has in 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 the in the awards where she has sort of been uncontested, as it were. Yeah. Uh, that said, there are there are still limited ser- outstanding limited series coming on the pike, but at this point, we're not seeing a lot of movement for um, small acts outside of John Boyega. Um, I May Destroy You isn't getting as much heat, and Cole isn't getting as much heat as I had really hoped. Uh, one nice thing is we know the cast of I May Destroy You will be recognized at the Film Independent Spirit awards because with the uh, introduction of TV categories, they have like an ensemble category that was given rather than voted on. And um, I I believe they announced with the nominations that that was going to I May Destroy You, which is good. Mm -hmm. And and that's the kind of show I want to see the Independent Spirit Awards lifting up. but yeah, it, it was it was disappointing, but I think it's something we need to start reconciling ourselves with. Uh, Queen's Gambit has really cemented itself as 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 nearly untouchable through this winter TV awards season. But another limited series that we thought did that uh, at the time was Escape at Danamora, and uh, by the time the Emmys came around, that had that had gotten stripped um, for parts, basically. So a lot can change. I don't know if it will, but it, it could. Ben, do you want to talk about Falcon and Winter Soldier at all? Do I? Only every day, Leo. There's a couple of guys trying to save the world, I think. And couple they banter. Yeah. There's a lot of banter. They haven't kissed yet, but I really do feel like every time I tune in that it's going to happen this week. Like that this... Ben is the week ben i want to thank you for bringing up the kiss because it only reminds me that i didn't gloat the past couple of weeks for nailing when (laughs) they would first meet up in episode two (laughs) we're not going to praise anymore kudos to both of you uh levy for the great joke and leo for nailing it uh that was An impeccable understanding of the structure of Marvel definitely does not speak at all to understanding, you know, the format through multiple hours, if not days, if not weeks spent absorbing their content and thus 
uh, breaking it down yeah. to the minute by minute uh, shifts. It's actually I a mean, little. Is, is my yeah? Is my brain broken from yeah. having uh, ingested so much Marvel? Yeah, sure. But it allows me to make a predictive guesses like they will meet on screen in the seventh minute of the second episode and be absolutely right about it. There's got to be some kind of really insular niche betting site on the internet where you can bet on stuff like that and probably make a lot of money. WandaVision and, and Falcon and Winter Soldier share a lot in that I don't think either of them quite know how to be television. Are they entertaining? Yeah, uh, in, in fits and, and spurts, but I, I do think that like they are still struggling with what it means to be uh, a television series in different ways. Yeah, um, I I mean the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, I will say is it feels so comfortable in being a buddy cop procedural type show that it's almost like my mind is grafting that onto the show even when it doesn't exist. Like, I kind of struggled with the third episode um, because it didn't quite fit in the way that I wanted it to fit. I was like, okay, they're going to go get this guy, he's going to take him to this place, and that's going to be the thing that happens this week, and that's how we define the episode, and that gives it kind of its own unique stamp and puts it at its own kind of, you know, easy to understand episodic framework uh, and it works and it's a TV and I got it and it didn't quite do that, especially with the way that it ended in the midst of kind of an adventure where I was like, Whoa, this isn't the right time to end it. This is a cliffhanger ending, but it's not really, it didn't wrap up as much as it should have to be a complete episode. Um, So I think that Falcon of the winter soldier could very easily slide into uh, a more understandable, more familiar tv structure if it wanted to it just seems to be resisting it because again like you said i don't know if they want to make tv or if they just want to make content to fill a certain amount of time at this point so i will say i'm on the positive end of the falcon and winter soldier but i will i will caveat that with they have set a lot of stuff up over the course of these first three episodes and i fear that that's just like that we're forgetting about like forget sam's bank loan Forget they Sam's do. family. They have to get back to that. They have to come for, back around to that. For, for uh, Forget uh, Isaiah Bradley and the fact that he was the black Captain America. All you have to know is the fact that they used his blood to create a super soldier serum. And I, I, I worry that they've, they've spread themselves very thin in terms of having all these things that you kind of want to see uh, some kind of completion on. That I you want to see a resolution to these, to these, to these plot threads. I do take comfort in the fact that they released a photo of Sebastian Stan and Anthony Mackie on Sam's boat. So, like, they're together on the boat from the first episode. So, at some point, that boat is coming back around, and, okay. and Bucky's going to help out with it. And it's like, cool, that sounds great. Um, I don't know <laughs> if I'm investing too much in a photo released before the first episode aired. But, hey, that's where we are right now. Um, and honestly, like, the weird thing to me, and I think this just this just makes me a very terrible human being um, as well as a terrible TV watcher. I'm way more on board with Falcon and the winter soldier uh, than WandaVision in terms of talking about it as television, because it really doesn't, it just, it just doesn't feel like it's trying as hard. Like WandaVision felt like it had an ambition behind it that I wanted to see it fulfill. And the fact that it didn't 
fulfill that ambition became very frustrating to me as the episodes continue to roll out. Whereas Falcon and the Winter Soldier to me feels like, okay, this is just like straight Marvel. We're going to give it to you. We're not going to hide it behind anything. Just take it and enjoy it. And I'm like, fine. I just, I'm not going to question anything. I'm just going to have fun with it. And it's just going to be turn your brain off TV. And I'll read some of the stuff that comes out, uh, especially uh, at IndieWire.com, where we have a wonderful writer reviewing each and every episode. Um, But otherwise, I'm just going to, that's it. That's as far as I'm going to go with it. Whereas I, I feel like WandaVision wanted me to invest more and because I did invest more at the onset and was disappointed, it hurts. <laughs> it hurts more looking back, even though objectively I think WandaVision is better. Here we are. I've I've arrived at, at the, the crux. You made of it all the way around. Yep. You made it all the way around on this point of view. I think uh, I was in in anticipation of talking about Falcon and Winter Soldier. I definitely a phrase that has entered my mind is like it knows exactly what it is. And it's not trying to be something else where I think WandaVision was trying to be maybe a little bit more than it than was under the surface. But stylistically, you could say what you want about like the how wide or, or the various very serious topics that Falcon and Winter Soldier is taking on in, in this comic book uh, narrative. Not that WandaVision wasn't also taking on grief and loss in, in some ways, but, um, you know, the racial inequity and uh, systematic racism in this country uh but at its heart, it's like, as you said, Ben, it is Sam and Bucky just bantering, hanging out together, not really liking each other. <laughs> like, that's fucking really around. all you need. Yeah, it's like, just fucking around. Like, we got to, like, I don't like you that much, but we got to solve this crime. All right, let's go solve the crime. <laughs> it actually, ooh, sorry, go ahead, Ben. No, no, I, I, I got about halfway through captain america and the winter soldier uh before falcon and the winter soldier started and i watched the most recent episode and then i started at the halfway point of the movie after the most recent episode ended and one of the first things i saw was bucky <laughs> kicking a guy oh, no. <laughs> into oh. a jet engine and i was just like oh wow <laughs> we've come a long way from from this evil malicious murderer to the guy who I just want to see sit in couples therapy and figure his shit out. Like, I don't know if we earned that that journey. I don't know if like it's fully there. He or whatever, spent a couple of years. He spent a couple of years in Wakanda. Sure, he got all the bad stuff out of his brain. Anyone. Yeah, sure, he I mean, could hear. She nearly it. got the Infinity Stone out of Vision's head. She's amazing. She let that's Martin Freeman walk again. That's kind of how it worked for me. I spent a couple of years in Wakanda, like just watching Black Panther, and I was like, "Ooh, this is good shit. I can get behind this." And and I, I mean, when when I was doing my rewatch, I, that was that was one of the things that I took away. It was like, Bucky kills a lot of people. <laughs> I think the sh- the show the show tries to rectify that early on, like when they when they do show that flashback, like he kills an innocent just because he's in the wrong place at the wrong time, and well, it's, it's just, that's who he much- was. I have I have many points to make in this argument. Uh, first of all, it uh, it actually handles that so much better than WandaVision. At the end of WandaVision, it's not necessarily about the people Wanda has killed, but the people whose basically minds she's broken and she's held hostage for over this period of time and, and basically mentally tortured. And they're like, well, I get it. I get why you did it. Um, and then Wanda goes You're off sad. to her. You were yeah, sad, so you yeah. forced all these people to, to relive their most yeah, traumatic, relate, your most traumatic memory constantly. 
I can relate. And then she goes, she fucks off Dexter style and goes to some cabin in the woods, which is fine. Whereas in um, the meanest thing anyone has ever said about WandaVision is referring to it as Dexter style. (laughs) Fucks off Dexter style. (laughs) And then uh, Falcon and and Winter Soldier were actually engaging in that. You know, what what does it do to your brain to have been turned into a weapon? And and um, how do you deal with surviving when so many of the people you encountered did not? Um, also, I think, I do think that my favorite thing about Falcon and Winter Soldier is that it is built around this, my, one of my favorite TV tropes, which is how are two ancillary friends, how do they relate when their connecting friend is gone? Uh, Uh Seinfeld did this with like Elaine and George, like trying to be in a room together when Jerry wasn't there and how awkward it is. Um, and, and that is like the underlying dynamic of this entire series. And I love it. Uh, who are Sam and, and, and Bucky when their best friend is gone forever? And do they have enough in common without Steve to actually build a relationship? I love it. Of any big, of any big comedic ensemble, it's always fun to see the two people that shouldn't be in a room together, be in a room together. And that's sort of what you're getting here every episode, though they are building some budding and I, I will say it in, in comparison to like if you're comparing kind of Wanda's journey and WandaVision to what Bucky's going through here, a lot of our our acceptance of Bucky was earned in the movies that came before this. And now we're watching him deal with it Absolutely. more in the day to day, whereas WandaVision presented that same kind of idea where like she went through a bunch of shit before the series started. And this is the moment like this is the show where we're going to watch her process it and that we didn't get enough of that was one of my greatest frustrations with the show. Uh, but then the ending where it invited a new set of kind of questions that I don't think it meant to, it just brings up that kind of uh, that very Marvel take on serialization where instead of like locking everything down within this limited series, instead of like kind of buttoning up, you know, this story and saying, this is the story, this is the arc. There's always room to them to fix it later. Like they can address those issues later on if they want to. And they already addressed a lot of that with Bucky. They had time, they had years and years of making those movies to kind of make sure to get that arc just right. And if something wasn't quite working after one movie, they can address it in the next movie. And then by the time we get here to this TV show, we're ready to see him, you know, wrestle with these things and and try to figure out a path forward. And they may end up doing the same thing with WandaVision. We may look back at WandaVision in you know three four five years and say okay it set that up that was a problem then but they did address it later on so you can't complain about it and that's not really fair but it is the marvel way so well uh, yeah like uh, reverse engineering is <laughs> you know is is sort of the marvel brand um retcon but i i yeah the retcon um that that was the word i was looking for thank you um they they with um yeah, and with Bucky, like, he's drugged for a lot of time. Like, they know he's not going to be able to process all of this. So he's doing all of that work off screen, off in Wakanda, off off wherever. Um, we don't know what that process looks like. Maybe it was just as painful and horrible as Wanda's, maybe. I, I don't know. Uh, but, of course, he was in Wakanda, so everything was better. Um, this is not the meat of the show. Uh, no, but we're, go- we're going long but on I Falcon can't Winter stop. Soldier. I, I love it. I I love it. At the risk of uh, changing gears too abruptly, we have 
a, a, a very special edition of Corgi Corner, where our executive ed- editor, Anne Donahue, is going to talk about some Bridgerton casting news. Welcome to Corgi Corner, where we talk about shows that have big costumes and big houses. And this week, it's not The Crown, you guys. It's Bridgerton. There's been a little bit of Bridgerton drama over the past week. It was announced that Reggae Jean Page, the standout of the first season, would not be returning for season two. And the universal reaction is pretty much, what? Why? He's so hot. Why is he not going to be in season two? Can you tell I'm actually from Southern California? I am, you guys. Um, this is actually just true to the books. The backstory on this is that each book in the Bridgerton series is about a different sibling in the Bridgerton family. So book number two is The Viscount Who Loved Me. It is about the Viscount, Anthony Bridgerton, the eldest son who is played by Jonathan Bailey. Simon and Daphne's story really just kind of runs out after the first book. They make cameos. Sometimes they have their kids running through the room. Sometimes they drop by for a game of croquet. That's really it. So the next season, justifiably, won't have Reggae Jean in it. I think, honestly, it'll be okay once people get over the initial shock because Kate Sharma, the character that plays Anthony Bridgerton's intended, is great. It's one of the Hall of Fame Bridgerton characters. Simone Ashley from Sex Education will be portraying her. And I think pretty much all your heartache will be assuaged by the second season when it comes out. I teased it a little bit at the top of the show about when you should start a show or where you should start a show. uh, Tongue in cheek, the beginning. But this this has come to the forefront because... uh, HBO Max has released Made for Love, which Ben teased a couple of weeks ago, which starts in Medias Res. That's how I've always said it. How have you guys, how do you guys pronounce that? Yeah, I say, I say in Medias Res. Like we grew up in the Midwest. That's how we pronounce it. Right. I say it like I'm Spanish. It's like I'm about to say in some sort of resolution, like I'm talking about the picture quality of something, which always makes me forget what it actually means so this is a good conversation to remind me that when people use this term they're not talking about how the picture looks on their television but this came up ben because you shared uh indiewire sister site variety caroline framke's review of made for love which she talks about the fact that it uses this device of dropping us in the middle of the action and then flashbacking at the at the very next scene to time before where we have started uh, the proceedings of the show, right? So, so this is a, this is a technique that is that has grown in prominence, and we've seen uh, at least a tipping point in the minds of TV critics because uh, obviously Caroline's review is is an excellent example of of kind of the argument in, in full and how it applies to this specific show. Um, but we've seen other people been kind of complaining or citing that this trend is is rising uh, over the last weeks, months. Uh, if not, you know, years really. Uh, and it, it it usually stems from a desire to replicate something that succeeded. And, you know, Breaking Bad had a lot of success in kind of teasing something at the beginning of its season, um, if not throughout its season in those in the openings of episodes where you were trying to figure out, okay, so this is the future. How are they going to get there? And um, it's also, as I think Caroline notes pretty early in the review, it's also typically encouraged for writers to start their show at an exciting instant, at a, at a tipping point. It's something kind of immediately engaging uh, so that you cannot 
<laughs> you do not lose interest too quickly. And in the age of, you know, streaming and binging and too much TV, uh, it's become something of a crutch for these shows to kind of start beyond the actual beginning of their story so that they can kind of trick viewers into thinking that uh, there's something more going on than meets the eye. And to me, um, Made for Love was such a good example of this. I actually, I mean, again, not to take away anything from Caroline's review because it's perfect and laid it out much better than I had laid out. But when I watched that show and was reviewing it pegged to South by Southwest, I wrote about 300 words related to this problem and then realized I can't really get into this without, or I felt like I couldn't really get into it without spoiling something that hadn't come out yet. So I, I deleted it and kind of reframed. Um, but the problem with Made for Love is that it, it's, it starts, it stars Kristen Milioti. Um, she is the wife of a tech billionaire played by Billy Magnuson. Um, and the first thing you see in the show is actually an advertisement for the Made for Love chip, which is a, a chip that's implanted in couples' brains that actually allows them to share a mindset. So, like, you basically like meld your minds together uh, so that there's no secret and there's no separation and you're one unit moving forward even though there's still two bodies walking around. Codependence, the chip. That's mm-hmm. exactly it. And <laughs> if you can imagine, uh, there's problems that ensue. Uh, so you watch that advertisement, and then the next thing you see is Kristen Milioti crawling out of this, basically a sewer grate in the middle of the desert. Uh, she's completely sopping wet, but she's wearing a like luminous green ball gown, and uh, she's obviously very stressed and very relieved, and you see her kind of stand up and flip off this building out way, way, way in the background, uh, the shining silver thing. And then we cut to 24 hours earlier to learn what happened and how she got there. Um, And that in and of itself, it's annoying in the context of we've seen this so many times already. It's not that big of a tease. We can kind of already imagine (laughs) why she needed to escape just from understanding the premise of the show. Uh, I feel like a lot of shows that shouldn't use this conceit, this in-media res structure, uh, often forget that people have watched the trailer for their show before they start watching it, so then they kind of already know some of the things that you're purportedly teasing. Um, But Made for Love doubles down on this, and they use it again and again and again. They they keep kind of jumping back and forth in time um, to try to tease things that don't necessarily need teasing and and for me it undercut a lot of the the more important discussions that this science fiction show wanted to have about codependency about autonomy about what's kind of sacrificed in a relationship when you completely give yourself over to another person um and it also just made it very hard for you to see more than the escaping woman's side of things like like she clearly needed to escape and there's no questioning why and yet they kind of continue to make you want to do that for a little bit too long uh in the series and i think that's the conversation that like hopefully more creatives and more people uh, who are making tv are having these days like i want them to just kind of discuss when should you start the show not in like a flash forward or flashback standpoint but just what is the beginning of your show? What, where do you want this thing to start? And why can't it start in a place that's exciting for audiences? And yet uh, it doesn't, you know, make them, it doesn't give them a headache trying to keep up with where you are in the chronology of it all. 
I mean, I have a lot of things to say about that too. Uh, but this is such a this is such a pet peeve for so many critics that I know. Um, a couple weeks ago, Alan Seppenwall, the critic at uh, Kissing Cousin uh, organization Rolling Stone, wrote something very similar, uh, pegged to Made Made for Love and Netflix's The Serpent, and I think AMC's Gangs of London, all of which are dealing with in media res openings. Something that Steppenwall writes is that he, over the years, has talked to a lot of TV creators who say they're getting pressure from networks in Network Notes to start all of their shows in very exciting places. And as most people who have, uh, who are, who are somewhat familiar with narrative structure, a lot of stories don't naturally begin at the most exciting part because that's usually where you're headed to. And so it does feel a little bit like a cheat. Um, and I, I really question that with pilots that are like, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna get you right in there. But if I don't know what's going on and I don't know who the people are, that's false stakes. Like I'm not actually invested in that. It's just confusing. Yeah, especially with ongoing series, I feel like the importance of introducing your characters needs to take precedence at some point. Like you because you're going to be spending so much time with these people if you don't understand why you're being asked to make that investment pretty early on then it becomes a problem. Right. Uh, it's also it's also a strange choice to me because so many so many networks are wanting to soften things for audiences. They want to make sure everything is very clear. And yet they're pushing creators towards these openings where no one has any any idea what's going on. Uh, the the intent is to confuse. Um and you want to coast on that confusion into, you know, them watching more than two minutes of your show. And I understand that. And I understand the importance of those first minutes, especially when it comes to streaming. But it also, it, it's, it's cheap. It, like, it's, it, it's a cheap ruse. And, and audiences are, are getting wise to it. And I just, I really struggle with choices that are not that are made not to strengthen the narrative but just to try and trick viewers but also i'm a, I'm a ostensibly a critic i'm a journalist i can have such moral quandaries <laughs> and creators a lot of times can't but yeah I, I do think this has a lot to do with a larger conversation too which is when are you starting your story uh are you starting your story too early are you starting your story too late? And if your story is, is, is actually made better by starting in that middle place and jumping backwards, do you need to jump backwards at all? Is that information we could get from you continuing your story from that very exciting place? Um, filling it in via flashback or whatever context. Uh, it, it, it's just, a, it's a conversation we've had before. It's a conversation we'll continue having, but it's just... Um, it's something that I, I do wish I had the confidence to say more creators are, are paying attention to um, as they are as they are putting their shows together. It seems like there's this weird balancing act between like uh, intense confusion, purposeful intense confusion that is supposed to create intrigue without becoming exhausting. Because otherwise, just like what is ha- I, I don't understand. Like I'm, I'm over this show. And I, and Ben, as a slight defense for in media res, I do think that there is, there is a tradition of this in TV. It's the cold open, um, where you will have a scene, 
uh, generally an exciting scene, something to draw uh, the audience in, and then you would go to credits. It would be self-contained. It would go to credits, and then the actual episode would begin. And that is, I, I think that the purpose of that was functioned very similar to in media res without necessarily having to play with the time. But I, I so I, I get the roots of it. I get the intent of it. I just don't know that it's being deployed properly at this juncture. Ben, in the case of Made for Love, and this is something that I experienced while watching it, it's so high concept. Like there's so much to digest in terms of the technological evolution of this this world. It almost feels like you don't need that start because you want to be able to understand the rules of the of the world before before we start jumping back and forth. Yeah, and and honestly that's a it's a great point because one of the things that that really seems like kind of the obvious hook of that pilot episode is is the twist at the end. Like the the without spoiling anything um when we're talking about a made for love chip and we're talking about uh, a couple who already exists and one is trying to escape uh, something, you can probably guess a little bit about what may have happened that would make them want to run away. And Mm -hmm. uh, because the pilot does seem geared toward reaching that revelation. um, And then the rest of the story is kind of based in what happens next. It seems like a very natural fit for you don't need to fuck around with it you've already got so much world building you have to do you already have a couple that you need to establish you already have um you know certain things that just have to be laid out from a character standpoint and from a story standpoint so that people understand what's going on that you don't need to screw with your timeline as well and i think this was one of the things that i really struggled with even as i was just taking notes watching the series um because there were a lot of pressing questions that i had that were eventually answered that if they would have started at a different point would have been answered sooner. And then my investment would have been stronger throughout the rest of what was going on. And, um, I really, I mean this to, to get into specifics would be getting into the spoiler territory, but it's also one of the frustrating things about a show like this, because this is a somewhat ambitious show. Uh, this is an HBO max original series. There's a lot of very likable people like within it. So like the cast itself kind of makes you want to stick around just for that. And it could grow into something that was worth watching. Like it could become a show that I that I really liked. And you see kind of the the seeds of that in different places if you stick around long enough. And that's just another thing that makes the in media res opening kind of frustrating because uh, it just feels like it's too much work to get to the point where you want to give it a chance. Um, and kind of on the opposite end of the spectrum. Libby, I wanted to ask you if you had a similar reaction to this. Um, and again, without spoiling, because I'm, I'm jumping the gun in terms of what's available for people, but uh, the mayor of Easttown pilot to me is almost like the opposite of this. The mayor of Easttown pilot uh, is very slow and very deliberate and lays all of the groundwork in terms of like, here's this character and here's what you need to know. And here's this character and here's what you need to know. And there's like 12 characters. There's so many people in the show on purpose and in part because it's a mystery that, you know, uh, Kate Winslet is trying to solve, which is really all the, all the hook that you need. Um, but that pilot really trusts the audience to stick with it. It really trusts them to say like, (laughs) you know, this is going to be a mystery. You know, this is going to get exciting. You know, this is going to be more than what we're showing you right at the beginning, but we're going to trust that you like the world, that you like the people and that you're going to care about this, uh, to come back next week. 
And for me, that works really well. Like, I really like this pilot. Um, did you have a similar reaction? And is that I, a thing that only certain networks and certain executives and certain writers are going to trust people to do? I think it's the thing only certain stories can do by certain executives at certain networks. Um, when you have a mystery and it is, when you have a mystery series and it is led by one of the most famous actresses <laughs> in the world, you have a little more leeway when you're telling your story. Because there is definitely a certain chunk of the audience that's gonna watch no matter what. Um, but the other thing they lean on, I think, is this This is such a very specific part of the United States, one that definitely doesn't get depicted very often on TV. And all of the cast members, as, or all of the characters as such, are very unique and a little strange. And it's difficult to understand uh, the dynamics at play. There are a lot of things that seem like contradictions uh, emotional relationships that are a little confusing. Um, but it's very it, it's very carefully laying out all the pieces for the mystery it is going to. It's a, it, it, I picture it as like the beginning of like a loom. like it, you have all of the fabric, all of the material there and the episodes to come are gonna start like weaving them together. Um, I think because audiences know how to watch mysteries, audiences, you know, are very familiar with this sort of pseudo true detective style show that they, they know how to watch it. I can see where with Made for Love, there might be more concern uh, about not knowing uh, not trusting that the audience is going to understand how to watch it. But, uh, I don't know. Um, I liked what Mare of Easttown did. I don't think it's a luxury that every show has. But I do wish that more... I do wish that more shows... Everything's on fire in downtown LA. I do wish that more shows would, um, would have a little faith. Um, I know why they don't. But I, I wish that they would err on that side. Again, Mare of Easttown's different because it's a limited series. Uh, you're not asking people to spend an hour investing in this universe that they may spend need to spend the next 60 hours in. Uh, so I, I think you have to move, you have to sell faster in, um, in recurring series because you need you need to make it worth their time. If you invest in a limited series, it's like seven hours max that you're gonna have to spend there. Um, and that's much that's much less. I think people are more willing to give that leeway to fuck around. Yeah, I guess what it comes down to for me is the, the line of thinking is basically, is basically a, a question of trust. Like you're right. saying, I think it's very easy to walk into a pitch and lay out a complicated structure and say, this is what's going to hook people. Like we have literally designed this show so that in two minutes we'll hook you into a question and that's going to keep you moving forward. And that's exactly what executives, I imagine, would want to hear. They want to hear a somewhat kind of guarantee or some kind of assurance built into the show that they'll that they'll have you and you're not the audience isn't going to go anywhere and at the same time i do think it's absolutely possible for you to get that hook with characters i just think it's harder to explain to people how you're going to do it so if you've got people who have done it before i hope they just keep doing it like i hope and i again like you said i hope the executives and whoever they're making this television with 
continue to trust them to do that because um, I just think that's how great TV is made. I think you're going to have such a stronger reaction to the exciting incident if you see it happen in real time to people you're already invested in as opposed to it's the first thing you see off the bat and then you have to try to figure out okay why do i give a shit about this so i'm trying to remember what like the first scene of mad men is the first scene of mad men is don in the bar yeah right like that's not exciting that's just a dude talking to someone in the bar like trying to like i i don't know um it does invite thought. Oh man, like it's one of those things. Now where... I want the poll to be: What's your favorite first scene of a of a show? I don't, that's not an easy can... poll. It's more like a question and answer. But like, I do love the yeah. idea of like, what is your favorite? Like, not your favorite pilot, because obviously Friday Night Lights pilot could... is perfect. Um, that is true. We could come up with examples though, because like, there's examples of like Breaking Bad is is an example of end media res working. Mad Men is an example of something that requires a little more thought and patience. And then there's, I mean, there's, if you just go to the big ticket things, you know. Yeah, what's Sopranos? Does he go to... It might be, is it, is it the doc, is it Dr., is it Melfi? Might I, be. I, it, that would make the most sense to me, but I don't know. And the Sopranos does start in Melfi's yeah, office. Yeah, starts in Melfi's office. That I was also sense. opening HBO Max. <laughs> you referenced Manifest, Ben, but I think uh, something we haven't talked about is how dangerous it is to start a show in Medias Rest. Because if you're a show like Flash Forward, we, we never find out. We never find out where you where you went. We're going. We never found out. We don't know. What was it all about? What? Well, he was loaded. Okay. I don't understand. He was loaded. Okay. <laughs> Millions of Screens is a production of Penske Media Corporation and IndieWire. Our theme music features excerpts the classic YouTube video Bjork talking about TV and Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Our editor-in-chief is Dana Harris-Brightson. Our publisher is James Israel. And our executive editor and host of Corgi Corner is Ann Donahue. Our favorite TV dogs. Wow. Our Santa's little helper from The Simpsons. Cheddar from Brooklyn Nine-Nine. And Eddie from Frasier. Did you know that Eddie from Frasier is related to the dog from Beginners? IndieWire's Millions of Screens reminds you... They're not our dogs. You'll get that after Doggy Bag. Don't worry. Oh, it's a leftovers reference. <laughs> did I read it right? Did I do a good job on reading it? You did Is a there fine a different... job. I was more impressed with how you read Brooklyn Nine-Nine. <laughs> Millions of Screens reminds you, they're not our dogs. They're not our dogs. You can find us on Twitter at a million screens at Midwest Midfire, Ben T. Travers, and at Leo Adrian Garcia. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play. So leave a review and let us know what you think. Uh, this is Ben. Libby and Leo remind you that you shouldn't let poets lie to you. And they're not our dogs. You shouldn't let poets lie to you. Ain't nothing wrong with a couple of cold brews and a cool podcast. <laughs> lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.